3: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 128 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Now, for once... Um Ayaz is usually the uh the you know, the beautiful one on, on the boxing thing. I'm kind of the brains. I think Ayaz is mainly the beauty. Well this week. Uh we have a third guest, uh, a very beautiful Mariam. Mariam, welcome to the show once again. Obviously you were on before to replace Ayaz and now it's uh, it's the best of both. I've got you both with me, so I'm excited. How are you?
4: Good, thank you. How are you?
3: Very good, thank you. Very good. Of course, there's lots of stuff to go over, so let's dive straight into the reviewing part. We're going to start last Thursday. One fight to mention that happened on the 22nd of March. This one was over in uh, the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California, USA. Um, there's a there's a kid on this bill called Ryan Garcia. I think he's only about 19. He had a real, um, you know, huge amount of amateur fights. He, you know, he was a very good amateur, and obviously he's turned pro now. He moved. to 14-0. He's got 13 knockouts in those wins there. And this one was a very quick one. A first round KO against Fernando Vargas, who, if I'm not mistaken, I think went nine rounds with Jamie McDonnell, just getting the measuring stick out. I think that was on the 9th of April, the night that Joshua you know, become a world champion and beat Charles Martin at the O two. 2 I think he went nine rounds with Jamie McDonald that night. So quite a statement there from the young man, Ryan Garcia. That one was for the NABF Junior Super Featherweight title. That's a bit uh, confusing, junior, uh, junior Super Featherweight title. Yeah, I've got that right. Moving over now to the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, this one in Hollywood, Florida, USA. Um... What do we have here? This one was actually a strange one. It was the debut of Roberto Duran Jr. Yes, it is the son of Mr. Hands of Stone. He made his pro debut a fourth round TKO. It was only scheduled for four. Both fighters were making their debuts there. So a good win there for Roberto Duran Jr. Unfortunately, the guy in the opposite corner, Miguel Morales, his record now 0-1. and one. But, um, yeah, TKO in round four. Very impressive start there for Roberto Duran Jr. Moving over now to France. One fight to mention at the Palais des Sports in Marseille. Um... Well, the WBA, like I said last week, the WBA really showing a lot of love to France at the moment. A guy on this bill called Michel Soro, 31-2, and 2, with one draw going in against the previously undefeated John Vera, 18-0. and 0. Michel Soro managed to grind out a points win over 12 rounds unanimously there. That one was for the interim WBA World Super Welterweight title. Um, also on this bill a guy who i hadn't really heard of his name's Arson Goula um he was 22 and oh he took on Riyad Mary who was 24 and oh both guys a little bit padded when you look at their resumes to be honest this one was for the vacant WBA world cruiserweight title that's if i'm not mistaken um, one of the ones that kind of got dropped throughout this you know, the World Boxing Super Series Cruiserweight Tournament. But it was a TKO in the 11th round for the home fighter, Arsene Goulemirian. Again, I can't tell you too much about him, but he's 23-0, and it's a great win for him. He's going to be, I'm sure, mentioned with, you know, some of the top cruiserweights in the world. Now, I'm sure they'll be after him. Um, moving over now to Germany, a couple of, well, just one fight or two fights on this bill, actually. A couple of strange ones here. Former opponent of Nathan Cleverley, former opponent of uh, Bernard Hopkins, Caro Murat, 31-3 and 3, with two draws, took on Travis Reeves, who was 15-2 and 2, with two draws. This one was for the vacant IBO World Light Heavyweight title, a TKO in round 12 for Caro Murat, so he becomes the IBO champion now. Um, I didn't see that fight. I'm going to hold my hands up. And also on the undercard, Tyrone Zuega, former opponent of the very popular Paul Smith. Um, his record... 22-0 now with just the one draw. It was a WBA World Super Middleweight title defense. I think he was a champion here, but he made light work of his opponent, Africa's Isaac Ekpo, 32-3, now 32-4. The TKO came as early as the second round, so quite an impressive win there for zoyga Moving over now to Puerto Rico at the Compleo, um, Ferrial in Ponce. A couple fights to mention on this bill. Firstly, Zacharia Choa was supposed to be on the bill, 18 and one. His fight fell through at the last minute, so he ended up not fighting. But the main event over here, strangely enough, was a prospect out of the Robert Garcia gym called Joshua Franco. He was previously 13 and 0 going into this fight. He took on a guy who was 11 and one with one draw, who's got about four different names. So I'm going to shorten it down to Lucas Leon. Now, Lucas Leone was actually down in the second round. But in the ninth round, he got a TKO where the referee, from what I'm hearing, jumped in very, very early. People are going absolutely crazy on social media about the stoppage. I haven't been able to see it. I I regret to inform you, but apparently the stoppage was really bad. I tried to look for footage on YouTube, but it's not on there. So I'd like maybe perhaps if somebody has seen it to let us know what you thought about it. But Joshua Franco loses his O, unfortunately. He goes by the name of The Professor as well. So, uh... Bad night there for the Professor. 13-1 and now, Joshua Franco, a TKO against him. Moving over now to Russia. One fight to mention over here. This one was actually at the Basket Hall in Russia. Uh, Just give me just a moment here to pull this one up. Um, So two or three fights to mention on this bill. I think just two. There's a guy who... um, to be honest, I, I think we, we spoke about him just briefly last week. Mariam, maybe you're not too familiar with this guy, but he's a guy from the Ukraine. In fact, no, sorry, he's from Russia. He's based, though, over in Big Bear. I think he probably trains alongside Abel Sanchez. But anyway, his record now, 33-0. A real, you know, long streak in terms of undefeated streaks right now. And he's a welterweight. Um, he got in there against a guy called Pavel Mamontov, who was 12-6 and with two draws. Seems quite quite clearly overmatched there and it was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds for Konstantin Ponomarev so he's now 33 and 0 like I say I'd like to see him step it up a little bit here but he became the the uh, the Russian champion here the the title was vacant before the bout and the final fight to mention on this bill Andrei Sorokin 14 and 0 he moves to 15 and 0 um he's a guy from Russia, he's 33 years old, he took on Ryan Ford, again, Ryan Ford at one point was linked to fight Anthony Yard, that fight fell through, he's a Canadian native, he's 36, in his last fight before this, he lost to Fedor Chudinov over 12 rounds for the uh, for the WBA International, but this fight here was for the WBA Intercontinental, and Ryan Ford lost, so he's now 14-2, and and Sorokin remains undefeated, like I say, 15-0, and not too much power he carries, though, only the four knockouts for him. Him. Moving over now to the 0-2 arena, the big one for the Brits, of course, over here. Just going to quickly fly through the undercard. Um, Craig Richards moved to 11-1. It was a TKO in round three against Ivan Stupalo. Um, strangely enough, they had a way in here, obviously, for the fight. And the fight was made at light heavyweight. We all know that Craig Richards has only really kind of had two proper fights at light heavyweight. One was a fight where, you know, he kind of came into the bout after moving up from super middleweight. And then, um, literally, after that fight, a couple days later, I think it was four or five days later, he took on Frank Buglioni for the British title. Um, this fight here, strangely enough, he came in over the weight. Just, just by a little bit, only by a quarter of, a quarter of a pound. But even still, so he he kind of weighed in. You know, as harsh as it may seem, he weighed in. As a cruiserweight. Um, but yeah, his opponent did make the way. But anyway, he knocked the guy out in three rounds. No title on the line. No big deal, I suppose. Three rounds there. It was scheduled for six. Um, Jamie Cox moved to 25 wins. He's got the one loss as well. It was a KO in the second round against Harry Matthews, who had a record of 15 and 25 with two draws. Easy comeback fight there for Jamie Cox before he takes on John Ryder on the haybel U2 undercard. Anthony Fowler moved to five and zero. It was a TKO in round five against Kalilu Dembélé, who was undefeated actually going into the ring with a record of six and zero with two draws. Dembélé was down twice, um, no, sorry, just once in round two, but then of course in the fifth round the referee had seen enough. Chris Congo moved to eight and zero against a guy called Serge Ambomo, who. Um, to be honest, he was actually quite a decent fighter and bomber. I think he took a couple of good fighters the distance. I can't remember off the top of my head now, but um, he took a few good fighters a distance. I might actually have to quickly check that. But yeah, basically this fight here it seems unimpressive simply because this, this was the only fight on the entire bill that went to the cards. All the other fights ended in knockouts. But yeah, he just he just recently, the opponent here, gone 8 rounds with David Avanessian, former world champion. And also he beat the undefeated at the time, Tamuka Mucha, as well. So quite um, a decent opponent there. Like I say, he took Chris Congo six rounds a win there for Chris Congo. Derek Chisora moved to twenty-eight and eight. He had his man down and out with a humongous overhand right that we don't get to see too much from Chisora. He looked quite explosive there. His opponent was previously a cruiserweight, I think, and he'd only had two fights in about seven years, something like that. So was to be expected, I suppose. Um, he had a record of 14-2 and two with two draws. Just quickly, I'm going to throw it over to one of you guys. Um, Ayaz, did you manage to catch the Chisora fight? Because when I actually tuned in, I saw the finish, but I didn't actually see the full fight because I, I tuned in a few minutes late because I, I tuned in about half an hour late because I completely messed up the timing. What did you make of Derek Chisora's performance if you did see it, Ayaz?
2: Um, well, it's a typical Derek Chisora performance. Obviously, he's going to fight a person that he would have beaten easy, but well done. Well, uh, good, good knockout off him, Just... The antiques after the fight was the funniest thing. Where, where he goes to David here, oh yeah, uh, I like the rap music about me, and then talk about the purse and him versus uh, Joe Joyce fight.
3: Yeah, we said it on last week's show, didn't we, about the uh, the Joe Joyce diss track? Well, the Derek Chisora diss track, I suppose you'd say. Not many people knew about that. Um, I'd I'd heard it. Like I sent it to you, I think I has as well. But yeah, it broke a couple of days later. So yeah, quite a good tune though. Have you have you heard that tune, Mariam? Have you heard the diss track? It's quite good
4: no i haven't heard that one you're gonna to have to send it over to me
3: i'll have to do that it is quite yeah. good you'll find yourself kind of just vibes into it in a chair somewhere <laughs> um Moving up the bill once again, Frank Buglioni. Oh boy, oh boy. This one was quite hard to, to, you know, quite a hard pill to swallow, even for me, to be honest. I mean, Frank Buglioni. this was his third defence of the British title. It was against a full, I think it's four opponents in a row now that have had undefeated records. He was going to be the first man, if I'm not mistaken, to win the belt against an undefeated fighter, then defend it against three undefeated fighters and win it outright. It wasn't meant to be, though. It wasn't meant to be a very early night there for him. Callum Johnson in the other corner. He had a little bit of inactivity, but like I said on last week's show, you know, he was a good amateur, and obviously he was the Commonwealth champion as well, so, you know, he was undefeated, he was no mug really, and he, he seemed to really kind of strike me with the strength and the size, I mean, he looked all muscle, and he got in there and knocked Buglioni out in the first round. It was a knockdown um, that was followed by kind of a bit of unsteady legs, and just as the referee stopped it, the towel come flying in from Frank Buglioni's corner, Don Charles' You know, he threw the white towel in. What did you make of that fight, Mariam? I know that you watched that one. Very disappointing, though, for for Frank Buglione.
4: Yeah, I was hugely disappointed. I think especially because he's looked so strong ever since the um, the loss to Chudonov, I believe. Um, and he's really come back and he's had a lot of momentum. So I don't think anyone was really expecting that. I think they expected Johnson to put up a good fight, but no one... I don't think anyone called that a first round Um Knockout stoppage. Um, but I still think Buglioni is a good fighter. I just think he had a huge off-fight, and that's not to take anything away from Johnson. Um, but Buglioni has shown that he's a really great fighter. So I just think that that was not very representative of him.
3: Yeah, and Ayaz, what did you make of the fight there? Like I say, we didn't know too much about Johnson, especially against uh, you know marquee opponents. Because when when you actually look at his resume, he's got quite a few opponents that he's took on and beaten, obviously. But they've all kind of had losing records. There's not many standout names, but this was his first big name, and he completely destroyed Buglioni.
2: Last week, I remember seeing on the show, I, I had I said, "Thank Buglioni is going to win by points," but wow, what can I say? What a performance by Callum Johnson! Obviously, the emotions got to him when, obviously, he said that his father his father passed away. But I, uh, the way, he, when Buglione hit him, when Callum Johnson hit him first time, yeah? He rocked Buglione. Buglione came back, but then Callum
3: Johnson's beaten. But congratulations to Callum Johnson. I want to see him fight Anthony Yard. Yeah, that'd be a good fight. Because it seemed like the only reason why the Buglione, or oh, sorry, the Burton and Yard fight wasn't happening was because Yard said that, you know... Frank Buglioni had beaten him so he didn't want to take him on well now he can't say that same excuse about Callum Johnson so perhaps that could happen one thing that I did pick up on that I haven't seen anybody mention though is um, just before the I think it was I think it was a right hook that first stunned Buglioni, and kind of from there it all went downhill but right before it landed there was a big head clash and it kind of seemed like the head clash Literally, as soon as they bumped heads, bang, a punch has been landed by Johnson. It was almost as if Buglioni was a little bit shook up from the head clash. And he's, he, I don't think his gloves were what well, they clearly weren't right up and protecting him at the time. So it could have been one of those ones where you clash heads and then you kind of put your gloves down and expect the referee to say something or, or something like that. I don't want to throw him a lifeline too much, but it did look like a headbutt followed by a big shot. And nobody really picked up on it. So little interesting thing to point out there um can i
4: just add on, very quickly on. um you know if if the johnson yard fight does happen in absence of the buglioni yard fight i think that's really good but i think this perhaps also sets the way for the um the burton buglioni rematch because i'm not sure if you guys remember but that was a really good fight while it lasted i remember watching it um in manchester and the entire i mean the entire crowd were just enthralled by it so i think that I mean obviously now burton 's you know come back he 's won a few fights in a good fashion, um, but I think Buglioni, even coming off that loss, I think it sets up the rematch quite well i 'm not sure if you agree
3: yeah no you know how, how can i how can I forget the the great fight first time round I think that mm-hmm. that would be good but um mm-hmm. I just I feel for Buglioni because I do want him to kind of get the rematch, even though it sounds a bit silly. I mean, I'd like to see him get a third defense of the title to win it outright. Because you do kind of have to say to yourself, he was offered, I think it was about 120 grand to take on Yard. Now I don't think Yard Mm -hmm. would have finished him in a round, and also he got he got um, you know there was interest for him to take on Kovalev to take on Andre Ward at one point. He turned those down to try and win the belt outright. And the worst thing that could have happened against those guys is he'd have got knocked out as well, you know, in the first round, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I hate to kind of be an after-timer, but in 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 the aftermath, looking back now in hindsight, he's probably kicking himself about that, so I feel gutted for him, because like, you know, like we all know, he's one of the most genuine guys in the business, um, we all incorrectly predicted last week for Buglioni to win the fight on points, me, you, Ayaz, and also the listeners, we were completely wrong with that one, so... A big red X there. No points for that one. Moving up this bill once again. Lewis Ritson. Boy, oh boy. He moved to 15-0. A TKO in the second round against Scott Cardle. Scott Cardle, the previous holder of the British title. And that is Lewis Ritson's second defence now. I was saying that I think all in the space of five months, he's won the title and defended it twice. All in five months. is quite incredible. Remember, he's only 24. We really, you know, we kind of run away with... We've, we've, you know, the potential that this man has got at the moment. There's there's really no limit to where he can get to. Um very destructive performance eyes. I'm gonna to come to you first. Wow oh wow. Blown away once again by Lewis Ritson.
2: Yes. Um whoa whoa another win for Lewis Ritson. another shock defeat, another shock win. A lot I I saw some videos like he's the next he's a Golovkin the
3: triple G of England. The Julie Golovkin, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the, the
2: Golovkin. I was like wait a minute. What but well done. He, he obviously first he beat Joe Murray. uh John, John Murray was it? Sorry, Joe Murray. Joe Murray. Yeah, Joe Murray beat Joe Murray, and now he beat Scotty Carlo Um, a lot I heard it, the world. Well it was good, for, a very good win for him. But at the start, you can see like they having a tear up first round and the second round. Bam, literally, literally beat beating. But apparently, like they now they're building up a fight between him and Josh Kelly.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably one for the future. And when I say future, probably probably at least a year, I reckon, before that would happened, if that even happens. I think that they're, they're both looking such promising prospects. I'm not quite sure that Hearn would want to collide them this early. Um, it's a very different relationship he's got compared to the ones that I think he's, you know, he had with Akole and Isaac Chamberlain. I think that... You know, it's, it's not quite that relationship. I think he's really, you know, deeply um, embedded in in both of their careers. Whereas you would say between Akole and Chamberlain, he was kind of more on one guy's side. Most people believe that anyway. Um, Marion, what did you make of his performance? Isn't he really, you know, turning up every time now and, and just looking better and better every time.
4: I know. The first few times I'd heard about him, I wasn't actually watching him um, on undercards, but I saw there was a lot of hype around him on Twitter and everyone was shouting out his name and going on about him and how great he was. So I thought I'd check him out. And I mean, he doesn't really fail to meet expectations. I mean, he looks really, really good. But I mean, I would really hesitate in terms of calling him the Geordie Golovkin, even as a joke, because (laughs) I think we all know how big of a fan I am of Golovkin. I don't think anyone's at that level or looks to be... um, you know, on that trajectory just yet. But no, I really like him. I think he's a great fighter.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And just, I just want to quickly break down this fight here. Um, I will give Scotty Cardle some credit. I mean I don't think he fought with the right game plan, but he came out firing in the first round. Um, you know, he, he seemed to not really be able to miss Lewis Ritson with either hand and, you know, he was actually slipping the shots that were coming at him. Lewis Ritson was showing us no head movement whatsoever, just, you know, gritting it out kind of thing. It was a massive first round for Cardle. And like I say, Ritson was really made to be second best a bit. But to his credit, none of the punches did seem to hurt him. Obviously we know Cardle isn't really the biggest of punch. But he did he did cut Ritson as well. That a lot of people again are just forgetting that he. I think he cut Ritson's eye in the first round. Um, you know the second round he came out and boy oh boy the midpoint of the round was where Ritson just pinned Cardle on the ropes. Cardle stupidly opted to trade with Ritson rather than grab hold of him or or anything like that. And you know he, he probably took about ten too many shots. Um, at Scott Cardle followed by a big left hook that staggered him into the ropes. Bob Williams pulled Ritson off of him and actually gave um, gave gave a standing count to Scott Cardle, which I think was quite fair of the ref, really. I think he he he, he you know showed him a little bit of leniency, really, because I think he didn't have to pull Ritson off of him. But when the pair did resume the boxing, obviously Ritson was teeing off on Cardle and within seconds, Joe Gallagher threw the towel in, and rightly so. Cardle was gone, you know, he was, He showed a lot of heart, like I say, but yeah, Lewis Ritson, you know, he just seems to keep impressing and impressing and impressing and I really saw that fight completely different before the fight, you know, I I said that Scott Cardle was very awkward and I felt that Ritson would probably end up winning a decision Well, I was very wrong there. Um but you guys, I think I as you was involved in it as well. Yes, you both went with Ritson to win by knockout yourself and the listeners, so you both gain a point there. I was kicking myself when I realised that. Um the main event though, Dillian White twenty-two on one, he put his WBC Silver Heavyweight title on the line against Lucas Big Daddy Brown, twenty five and 0, former WBA world heavyweight champion. Um, you know, a man that Let's be honest, he, he'd he been inactive for quite a while in the last couple of years and that, but a very big, brutal knockout in the sixth round for Dilliam White. And, you know, he kind of showed his class and showed his levels above Lucas Brown here. Um, I'll throw it over to you first, Mariam. Brilliant performance from Dilliam White.
4: Yeah, no, I agree completely. One thing that really stood out to me was how precise White was in this fight. And I think that's something that he's definitely worked on. I know in previous fights a lot of critics of him have said you know he's not really accurate he's not very precise he kind of just throws shots he's a bit sluggish but that's something that really stood out to me in this fight he seemed to choose his shots very well and the way that he built up to that final i think it was a left hook um that ended it you know it was just really nice to see finally come out of white um because i think it really turned this assumption that he's just a slugger i think it turned that assumption on its head essentially
3: yeah I think um you know the, the way I saw the fight I mean the first round I I didn't think was a particularly great round I think that you know mm-hmm. nothing nothing was was really landed nothing eye catching but you'd obviously have to give the round to Dillian White. I think that mm-hmm. we we saw straight away that Lucas Brown was carrying a bit of weight around the belly I'm not quite sure mm-hmm. why you know, he seemed to be the much slower of the two fighters, Brown, and he looked—he looked very, very one-dimensional. Very bad footwork from him. He just—he mm-hmm. just simply lacks those fundamentals of the boxing game. You know, he's too easy to hit. He's got a bad defense. Dillian was working his jab very well, which I like mm-hmm. to see. Um, Lucas kept walking into it a lot. You know, I gave every round to Dillian White, and he was busting Lucas Brown up. But Brown, for for most of the fight, I will say, was on the front foot to his credit. Um, you know, Dillian, most of his most of his work really in the entirety came off the back foot, which I suppose was quite impressive from him. We don't see that too often either. And Brown kept switching stances repeatedly. I don't know why he was doing that. Nothing was working there whatsoever. Um, you know, he couldn't work White out at all. And then, like I say, in the sixth round... I think it was just 38 seconds into the into the sixth round. Bang, a huge mm-hmm. left hook. Put Brown to sleep. Face down on the canvas. Brutal, brutal finish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brown needed to be carried out of the ring, which we don't like to see. But a big statement by Dillian White, who, you know, he wasn't only live on Sky, but also in the States on HBO. Ayaz, what did you make of his performance? Very brutal from Dillian White. Let me say something. That on, on when he fought Lucas Brown, the jab was
2: the most effective thing he did. You can see by the jab, he was hurting him with the jab. White was just hitting him with the jab. Jab, jab, jab. To This white I've seen, he's, you can see that. Like, he's conditioning himself very, very well. He's lost a lot of weight, and he's carried a lot of muscle. He busted Lucas Brown up within the second round, second second and third round. And you can see Lucas Brown's face is a whole mess. Obviously, Luca, Dillian White was hitting him. But like I said, the jab was the most effective thing in the whole fight. That's why Lucas Brown... Lucas Brown got hurt. And obviously towards the sixth man, that right... Uh, was it left hand or right hand, sorry? Left hook. Sorry, yeah. Left hook, yeah. And knocked in my eyes cold. When I saw that knock, I thought it reminded me of the when Mohan
3: Manuel Marquez knocked out Pacquiao. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, another brutal one. Um, mm. What I will say, I I, cor- I correctly predicted White to get the stoppage win. So I I um, managed to come back from my one point deficit this week. Um, you you and the listeners, I both agreed that White would win on points. Um, I think we could tell really from the first round that, you know, White, well not White, sorry, Brown wasn't going to last the 12 or the 10. I think it was 12. 12 was it 12 rounds or 10? I think it was I'm pretty 10. sure it was. But yeah i think it was yeah it was 12 yeah so i didn't think he'd even last 10 to be honest i didn't think he'd even last 5 really the the way the fight was going but um yeah credit to dillian white a huge huge win and um you know he moves on now to to bigger and better things we all want to see him in there with you know one of the big names I'd like to see him in there with Dillian well not Dillian White. I'd like to see him in there with <laughs> Deontay Wilder I got confused because both, <laughs> both their initials are DW so you'll have to forgive me on that but yeah that really wraps up the reviewing that is the end of that just before we wrap up part one there's one last thing to do that of course is to welcome our very first guest Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the trainer of some of the best talent that the UK has to offer. It's, of course, Mr. Peter Fury. Peter, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, pleasure
3: it's my pleasure, sir. A little fact I just want to give out to the listeners that may not know Peter Fury actually kick started our podcast. He was our first ever guest on this show that was back in twenty fifteen so Peter's a very special guest on this show, but Peter, we haven't spoke on this show for almost a year at the time when we did speak. I think it was in the build up to the first proposed Parker Fury fight when it was set to happen in New Zealand. Obviously that fight fell through it ended up happening in September in the u k Just a couple of notes on that fight itself, Peter. I know that you were obviously in the corner on the night, but have you had a chance to... I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've had a chance to sit down and watch it back. And if so, did you score it? And how did you score it?
0: It's one of them. You know, when you're you're very close up and you're looking at it and you're seeing a lot of the shots thrown being blocked, you know, and the quality of the shots, the one who was controlling the pace and everything, I just had a clear winner. I had him at least four or five rounds ahead of it. So... I never even had it close, but that's... Everybody's got their opinion. That was my opinion of it.
3: And those two 118, 110, you know, 118, 110 scorecards in favour of Joseph Parker, were they some of the most fortunate scorecards an away fighter has ever really had on UK soil, you feel? Yeah, the scores are bent,
0: aren't they? You know, they've done that with an ulterior motive, so it's not possible to have that wider margin. It's ridiculous. You know, I think... uh, those those people listening to joseph parker's corner and i think kevin barry said look in the 10th round that park joseph parker needed a knockout to win it so it just goes to show you you know that uh our scores were absolutely disgusting to be honest shouldn't be allowed in boxing
3: yeah i totally agree i can't really remember how i scored it but i felt that huey uh you know put on a little bit of a boxing lesson to be honest that. I- you know, when I heard the 118, 110 scorecards, I assumed that they were going to be for Huey, and I didn't really have any problems with those scores if they were for Huey. But when they said and steel, I just couldn't believe my my eyes or ears, to be honest. But looking onto something more positive now, Peter, obviously in my eyes anyway, after Huey arguably beating a heavyweight world champion. Um, he's he's proved to the public now that he is world level. Dropping down a couple of levels though to fight for a British title can feel a little bit underwhelming. Obviously, you know, Huey skipped the domestic scene to challenge for the world title in the first place, so why was there such a step back kind of thing? No disrespect to the British title, of course.
0: It's not a step back, yeah. It's it's a fight back. It's a, it's a good fight. It's a heavyweight fight for Channel 5 TV and uh, <clears throat> it was the only fight that was available to us so you know, we've tried to get um, high, a lot higher ranked opponents, um, but for one reason or another, they didn't fancy the job. So, you know, here we are. You know, full credit to Sam Sexton because he has stepped up to the plate. But like I said, we, um, you know, we've done a lot of inquiring for a lot of uh, fighters, even ranked two and three in the world, five and six, up to eight, nine, ten. You know, all in the top ten. We tried quite a few actually.
3: And obviously. You know, before the Parker fight, Huey was out of the ring for quite a while. After the fight, by the time this next fight comes around, it would be eight months after the Parker fight. Um, why? Because even that seems quite a long time. I felt, you know, because I felt he won that fight. So did you. So did everybody. Really. Um, why was there like an eight-month break? Did, was he injured at all? Was Was it maybe he needed some time out to get his head right again? What was it, PR?
0: No, no problem at all. He had uh, Christmas off, and he's been training uh, from January. So he's been constantly taking over. Um Hennessy Sports, their first show they could do was in May. So uh wasn't too amused with the time the time scale. But um it's perfectly fine because we're gonna make we're going to make it up after the fight. So I expect you out three to four times this year. So he is going to be busy. We're looking to have him out again in July, all being well with this one in May. So and then um he'll fight again towards the end of the year.
3: Excellent, excellent. So once again... Huey will be fighting the reigning British heavyweight champion, Sam Sexton. The fight will take place on May the 12th in Bolton. It will be shown, as you said, on Channel 5, which is brilliant news for fight fans. Sam Sexton's a man that's gone undefeated for almost six years now. Obviously, he carries three losses on his resume, but they were to two men, twice losing to a very fresh and undefeated version of Derek Chisora. The other one was to David Price back in May 2012. What else do we know about Sam Sexton, Peter? I think Sam Sexton's
0: underrated. I think he's very durable. He's uh, he's got good boxing skills. He moves as well. He's not somebody that comes in overweight. He's fit. He's in shape. He's got a very good trainer. So, you know, it's uh... a <laughs> excuse me. I think he uh, he takes a lot of boxes. It's a good domestic fight, this. You know, but you know the, what I see. You he's just on a world level. So I just see that a golfing difference there. But that's still, you know. Everybody's uh, in with the, everybody's in with a very good chance. Um, so I'm sure they've got their plans coming into this fight. So we've got to look at it very seriously as well, because you can take your eye off the ball. We're not, we're not looking past anybody. It's one fight at a time. I concentrate fully on the job. And, you know, like I said, nothing's overlooked.
3: And as you said, Huey Fury would perhaps be fighting twice more, providing... You know, all is well in this fight here, he'd perhaps fight two or three times more before the year's out. You know, if he wins this fight he'll become the British champion. Will that be two or three defences of the British title do you see?
0: No it won't. We're looking for the we're looking back to get back on the world stage as fast as possible. Yeah. So um, you know, that's that's where we're at. You know, if another somebody wants to fight for the British title it's interest to us, we'll have a look at it. And if not we'll just move on to uh to to bigger fights.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to a couple of other fighters and fights now, I just want to mention here, what was your reaction to Dillian White's brutal knockout win over Lucas Brown on the past weekend?
0: I think Dillian White did, did what he had to do. He looked well, he trained well, he, he put some lovely shots together and he did what he had to do and it was a stunning performance. However, Brown, um, I've never rated Brown. He's he, he's not really a finesse boxer. He's just a big, tough, tough fellow. He's, he's got power in his hands like i said his movement his boxing you know i, I just don't uh, i didn't rate his performance at all to be honest so it's just it's just what it is i think um dillian white he's 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 he's, a, he's in a different league to uh, the likes of brown when you put fighters in like this with each other you can see the gulf of difference you know and this is this is what happens yeah it was no, a full it was a great it was a great performance by uh, dillian white so Maximum credit to him, he got the job done, and they've done
3: it in style, yeah, for sure, for sure, and I want to get your thoughts on Joshua versus Parker. Obviously, the fight's set to happen in just a couple of days' time. How's it going to play out in your eyes? I think that David Hay said something really accurate in my opinion. David Hay said that if Parker can take Joshua past the sixth round, then he's you know he's in with a great chance.
0: Do you agree with that more or less, yeah, I think um Parker's got to use his boxing skills. He's got to, uh, but he's fast hands as well. And the good thing with this fight is, you know, Joshua can't run into Parker because he has got power himself. So he's not somebody that can't punch. You know, when you look at his fights, and he won the world title. He fought Andy Ruiz Jr., who's as tough as a brick. Who's as tough as Teak. He fought Carlos Takam, another guy who's tough as Teak, as we know. And then he fought Yui Fury. who has got. A granite chin, and he's very elusive. He's very hard to hit. So when you look at it, he's he's not a light puncher himself, Parker. He can when he when the levels has dropped, he's demolished his opponents. So like I said, it's only when he stepped up to world level, you know, where the power's not been so that that big of an impact. But then again, he's fought very durable guys. So you know, Joshua's got a watch coming on to Parker because Parker can punch himself. So it's, I think it's a very interesting fight. This I think it's a, a very good fight. I think it's a lot more even than what people think it is. And if, if Joshua comes past Parker, he needs maximum credit because young Parker, he's a worthy world champion.
3: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I must ask you a question or two about Tyson Peter. um, You know, you've both obviously parted ways. You were the man that guided him to the world titles. You were the man that set out the game plans. You were the man that provided the workout plans for Tyson to shed all the weight. You were the mastermind behind his career, to be honest. Um, You know, you did an outstanding job with him. He was undefeated. It was perfect. Why did this beautiful thing come to an end? I mean, it, it seems so unfair almost for boxing fans. I don't discuss family issues with anyone, so... It's a it's, it's a personal
0: matter. We had um you know, coming through his career, you know, he's the loveliest young fella on the planet, you know. There was uh you know, unbelievable. It was um it was a, fair, a fairy tale what happened, you know. He went over there, he we struggled and we'd done everything to get the mandatory position. He kept knocking him back, knocking him back, you know, and uh <clears throat> he persevered his perseverance and uh we went over there and he had a fantastic win. And, you know, it was one of the um, it's one of the best nights of all our lives in boxing. You know, so that's what it is. He put uh, he put he put the name on the map. So you know, he did fabulous stuff. So that's where I want to leave it on a good note, and I'm not interested in anything negative, only in uh, positive. I'm not interested in what happened after the Klitschko fight because I think it's all a disaster. I Just that was a very proud moment for me. We had a special bond, you know, and it's uh, that's the memories I want to look
3: at, nothing else. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I remember just about two weeks later when just before uh, you know, you, you, you we started the interview, I was saying to you that. When I was in the dressing room with you, I remember. I think that was a few weeks after that, and I remember Tyson kind of being in the dressing room talking to all the other pros that were fighting on the card that night, who were maybe three and four and zero. Oh, and he was taking a, you know, a great interest into those guys and you know what they were doing in their career. People don't see that. It's, it's obviously a shame, you know. Tyson is uh, a real man of the people. And just before I let you go, Peter, anything that you want to tell the listeners at all? Just before we let you go, anything at all? I wish everybody a very happy Easter.
0: We're going to uh, enjoy a lovely weekend of boxing and uh, may the best man win on the night.
3: Absolutely. Listen, Peter, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. It truly is, Uncle. Best of luck for May 12th. Thank you for your time, and we'll catch up sometime after.
0: You're welcome, young man. Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part. Let's go over now to the Trevor McDonald of the boxing world, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, what you got for us? Right. Ishmael Salas has split up with Jorge Linares. Yeah, it's a strange one because, you know, of recent years especially, um, you know, his link up with Linares has kind of made him quite popular over here and I think when he was over here with Linares, that was the real times where I think the the British fighters that have now linked up with him, i.e. David Hay and, you know, the rest of them, um, they, they kind of got to see him, I think, you know, when he was over here with Linares and, that they're now with him, and now it seems quite bizarre that he's you know, he's split with Lenares. I don't quite know the ins and outs of it. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that Ishmael Salas has actually bought a house over here now. So maybe he's based over here, and Lenares didn't want to be. I don't know, because Linares is weird, isn't it? He's from South America. He fights in America, but I think he lives in Japan. And then his trainer's going to be in the UK. It's all a bit crazy. So quite a strange one, especially the fact that Lenares has got a humongous fight coming up. Um, but yeah, it's 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 bizarre. But you know, I'm, I'm sh- I'd like to see who he ends up working with, really. But um, you know, hopefully it works well for him because I'm a fan of, of Lenares, and I give him credit for taking this fight on May twelfth. Right, Amir Khan will be
2: training with Joe Guzen after Virgil Hunter had some health issues.
3: Yeah, um, first and foremost. Um, you know, our, our wishes and well wishes go out to Virgil Hunter on behalf of all of us. Um I'm not quite sure of which kind of health issues he's having. I don't know if it's physical or anything like that, but whatever it is, we wish him all the best. He he's he's been a great trainer to, to a number of fighters and uh you know we don't we don't want to see him in any kind of health problems at all. But yeah, Joe Goosen's a good trainer. I'm not quite surprised, to be honest. I'm not I'm not very surprised to be honest. Um uh, I know that Amir Khan's been out to that gym a few times, the Goose Gym in California. He's done quite a few sessions over there with the guys there, Ricky Funes as well. And it's not really a surprise because Amir Khan's quite, you know, quite flashy and all that. I'm not, you know, I'd have been very surprised if he linked up with a UK trainer. Um, so yeah, he's got Joe Goosen who's who's now travelled over to to the UK to train him, which um which which. I did find a little bit surprising the fact that he travelled over here because Joe Goosen's like a very sort of proud American guy, but I'm not quite sure who he's training at the moment. So maybe that's why, you know, it's kind of a good thing at a good time for him. So, yeah, credit to them both. I like Joe Goosen as well. He doesn't take no rubbish from nobody at all. So, um, yeah, that that, that, would be interesting. He knows his boxing very well.
2: Right. uh, Terence Crawford will fight... Um, Jeff Horn on June the Night at the MGM Grand Garden Arena, Las Vegas.
3: Yeah. Um, firstly, it was a shame that the first fight fell through. It was set to happen on April 14th. As I said a couple of weeks ago, I think now, there was there was going to be boxing every single week for nine weeks. All great fights every weekend. And obviously on the 14th, Billy Joe against Martin Murray, that fell through. So did this one in the States. So there's no boxing now on the 14th. But... Um, you know, to the delight of boxing fans, both those cards have been rescheduled in pretty quick succession. So, um, it's good to have them both rescheduled, both set for June and this one here, June 9th. Um, you know, I'm happy that it's going to happen. I'm, I'm still not too over the moon with the fight. Cause I think there's only going to be, um, or most people believe that one man's going to, going to win it quite easy. Some kind of, um, you know, some kind of, A bit of a cakewalk, really, most people say. And I kind of tend to agree with that. So I'm happy that the fight's happening. But once again, I don't think it's a fantastic fight. But yeah, I'm glad it's been rescheduled. And, um, you know, Jeff Horn is hopefully being paid very well for it. Because that'll probably be the last time um, he's in a world title fight, I'd imagine. Is that it for the news, guys? Yes, that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much. Ayers, moving over now to the previewing. a few fights to mention here, there and everywhere. We're going to start, though, at the Guildhall in Preston, Lancashire, United Kingdom. We have, um, what do we have? We've got one fight to mention on this bill. It's a bit of a weird one. Jack Catterall, 19-0, and takes on Nathan Hardy, 7-19 and with three draws. I think that Jack Catterall's got a fight coming up on his promoter Frank Warren's card. I think I, I don't know when it is. I think it might be on the Leeds undercard, you know, Warrington and Selby, but anyway, um whoever he's fighting on that card, I think I even know but it slipped my mind at the moment, but anyways, he's getting out once again before that on a you know, on another another promoter's show, so he's you know, he's in there against a guy with a losing record. I'm sure it's just kind of like a a fight to keep him ticking over kind of thing. It's a 6-rounder, so all the best to Jack Catterall. Moving over now to the BT Convention Centre in Liverpool, Merseyside, United Kingdom. Two fights on this bill. One of them, another Frank Warren fighter who's fighting on an, on another guy's card. It's Lerone Richards, the sniper. 10-0, his opponent yet to be announced. And the main event over here, I think he said Michael. It might be Michelle. Anyway, Michelle Sirawatka, 19-1. Um, Sirawatka... He beat and took the O of Robbie Davies Jr. the first time round. It was a, a, a kind of strange fight for Robbie Davies Jr. the first time round. I think he was winning the fight and then he, he got caught and he ended up being knocked out. So, um, you know, he's he's very bravely gone straight back in with this guy. I think he's had no fights in the interim. I think he's just literally jumped straight back in with this guy, um, the, the Polish fighter Siro Watka, And i I got to give him a lot of credit for doing that. He wants to avenge his sole defeat on his resume. It's a 12-rounder. It's for the WBA Continental Super Lightweight title, which was the belt that Cyril Watka took from Robbie Davies Jr. So lots and lots of credit to Robbie Davies Jr. I really hope he can prevail this time and in good fashion because... Um, you know, even though I'll be in Cardiff, I'll be definitely having him in the back of my mind, and I really hope he can do it because he's a real nice guy. Uh, moving over now to the Marina Bay Sportsplex in a place called Quincy, in Massachusetts, a bit of a mouthful. That those are the types of venues that I like. What have we got over here? Um, Jason Quigley actually thirteen and oh, he he takes on Daniel Rosario Cruz, who's eleven and three with. Uh, with zero draws, he's just eleven and three. It's an eight rounder there. That one's going to be shown on ESPN Two out in the states. Um, it's a it's a co promotion with Golden Boy and Murphy's Boxing that one. Jason Quigley recently linked up, as we know, with Dominic Ingle. So um, yeah, I think it's it's strange. I thought he'd probably be fighting over in the UK a bit, but I don't really know who he's with. Is it, I think he still is he still with Golden Boy? Does anyone know Jason Quigley? I think he is. He still is. He still is right, so yeah, he's, he's fighting over there but training over here. So I wasn't quite sure what had happened when he moved over here to train. I thought that perhaps you know his contract was up or something. But I like him again. He's been on the show a couple of times. In fact, I think just once. But anyway, everybody that has been on the show is part of the part of the box hard family. So my well wishes are with Jason Quigley thirteen and 0. I'd like to see him step it up a little bit though. I, I must say, if I'm being honest. Um, And now moving over to the final bill to mention, it's going to be the big one, of course, at the Principality Stadium in Cardiff, Wales, United Kingdom. Lots and lots of fights to predict on here as well. We've asked our Twitter followers as well to give us a hand there. Starting on this bill with Sean McGoldrick, four and O, he takes on Ricky Little who's three and two with one draw. Uh, Josh Buatzi four and O takes on a guy called Bart Grafka who's twenty and twenty eight with three draws. That's a six rounder there. Um, what I will say about Josh Buatzi's opponent actually, he's a guy that, like I say, he's been he's been in with quite a few notable names. Of his twenty eight losses, he's only been stopped five times. Um... He went the distance with Robin Krasnicki, who we know very well. He went the distance with Mark Heffron. He got knocked out by Zach Parker. He went the distance with Lennox Clark. Um, he got knocked out by Tom Baker. He also went the the distance with Paul Smith over six rounds, the, the very popular Paul Smith. And... Um, Oh, he got knocked out in two rounds by, very um, hotly spoken about this week, Callum Johnson. So, yeah, he's been over here quite a few times. I don't really see him giving any problems to Josh Buatzi, but that's a six-rounder there. All the best to Josh. Um, Morgan Jones, 12-0, and 0, takes on a guy called Mose oh gosh, Moe's Ulmatagi Jr., who's 9-1 with two draws. Uh, that's a six-rounder there. Anthony Crawler gets out on this bill as well. His record thirty-two and six with three draws. That's an eight-rounded there against Edson Ramirez, a Mexican with a very padded record to be honest. His record eighteen and two with one draw. Um, I think it's going to be an easy win for Crawler. Probably even a stoppage to be honest. Um, Joe Cordina six and zero. Oh, it was a late replacement. It was supposed to be. Was it supposed to be Andy Townend? And he's now been replaced by Hakim Ben Ali, who's nineteen and five. Um, Joe Cordina, like I say, 6-0. This one's for the vacant WBA international lightweight title, which it seems quite crazy that he's actually fighting for that so quickly. It looks like they're going to try to move Cordina quite quick. But yeah, this guy, of his five losses, he's only been knocked out once. Um, that was against a guy who, to be honest, um, I'm looking at him now. I don't know how to say his name, and I definitely haven't heard of him. So I'm not quite sure how good this guy is. He's a Belgium fighter. Uh, moving up the bill once again, Josh Kelly, 5-0, and o, fights for the vacant WBA international welterweight title against the former IBF 154 world champion Carlos Molina, who was on our show last week, 28-8 with two draws. Never been stopped, though. That's a 10-rounder there. Um we got to give our predictions on this one, Ayaz. Um, mariam you can join in with the predictions as well. Not that they're going to get scored with us on the scoreboard kind of thing, because we've been doing it for so long, but you can just uh, you know, participate in it just purely in case if you get any wrong, people can abuse you next week and stuff. <laughs> <Has>. <laughs> so, So, um, yeah, Ayaz, I'm, I'm going to come to you first. Um, Josh Kelly and Carlos Molina. How do you see that fight playing out? Uh, I'm going for Josh Kelly knockout. Josh Kelly, knockout. Okay, well, you you reckon he's going to be the first man to stop Molina? Okay, our listeners have gone with Kelly by knockout as well. I will say that would be a huge statement if it does happen. Um, Mariam, I'm going to come over to you now. How do you see that fight playing out?
4: Yeah, I can't disagree. I don't think it will be as easy because obviously Molina's bringing a lot of experience to the table. But yeah, I don't see anything other than a Kelly stoppage.
3: Right, I'm going against the grain as I do. I'm going to go with Kelly to win on points. Um, Mm -hmm. I do want it to be very competitive because I do like, um, you know, I've got a soft spot for Carlos Molina. He was on our show last week and he's a real good guy, you know, and he seriously seems up for it. Anybody that hasn't listened to last week's show, the interview I did with Molina, he... Uh, there was something in his voice. I know that it can sound a little bit cliche, but sometimes you speak to people when you truly feel that they believe what they're saying and you, but you become a believer just hearing them speak. And that is the kind of vibe he gave me. So, um, I hope it is quite a competitive fight. I don't want to see him get, you know, humiliated, but yeah, I'm, I'm very much a, a huge Josh Kelly fan at the same time. So I want him to do well as well. Um, you know, huge credit as well to, you know, not just Josh Kelly, but also his training team, Adam Booth, and even Eddie Herm for putting this fight on. It's a it's a brilliant, brilliant fight. Huge step mm-hmm. up in class. Ryan Burnett, 18-0, and 0, puts his WBA Super World Bantamweight title on the line against Yonfrez Parejo, 21-2, with one draw. Parejo, a man that has only been stopped once, but, you know, he, he lost a split decision to Zanat Zakainov, the guy that... Um, Burnett beat in the unification bouts and also he got knocked out by Hugo Ruiz back in 2012 but Ruiz is a really big puncher to be honest so no shame in that it was an eighth round um, stoppage back then so in my eyes I actually see Burnett winning this on points I don't think he's going to stop Parejo Um, our listeners though just to quickly check where they are on this the listeners have gone with a Burnett knockout so they're Going against me, Ayers. How do you see it, Burnett and Parejo? I'm going for a Ryan Burnett win on points. Yeah, I thought you would. And Mariam, how do you see that fight playing out?
4: I could see, I could see it happening like that. I wouldn't be surprised with a late stoppage, just because I think Ryan Burnett, like I said uh, previously, he's got a lot of momentum right now, and he is, you know, just on the up and up. So I wouldn't be surprised if we were to see that it would kind of make sense. It'd be the next step. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stray too far from your points prediction.
3: Okie dokie, okie dokie. Uh, moving up the bill once again. What do we have? We have, um oh boy, oh boy, Alexander pavekin 33 and one. And the two belts that are on the line for this are the WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight title and the WBO International Heavyweight title. In the other corner, our very own David Price, 22-4. It's a 12-round contest, this one. Um, Ayaz and Mariam, I must say, this one here, I actually asked our listeners, our, our followers on Twitter, how they see this fight playing out. And so many of them went with... Um, Povetkin to win by knockout that I just decided Mm -hmm. to delete the poll and make a new poll of when uh, when in the fight will Povetkin get the knockout will it be one to three four to six um, eight to nine uh, sorry not eight to nine seven to nine and ten to twelve yeah so where do you all see that one happening firstly I'm going to come to in fact I'll go with you Miriam ladies first how do you see that one playing out
4: Firstly, I can't believe that this fight is even happening. Like, I genuinely can't believe it. When it first came out on Twitter, I was like, yeah, like, no way, this is BS. And then when it was confirmed, I was like, are you, like, is this is this for real? Is this serious? I, d- I don't understand how this is happening because, th- I mean, there is just no other outcome than a Povetkin knockout. And it's not just going to be like, a, you know, competitive for a few rounds and then Povet's Povekin's going to land like a great jab or a great hook and it's going to be out. Like, this has the potential to be a really, really dangerous fight. And I don't think it's in Price's best health to even take the fight, especially given how badly Price has performed in recent years. And then to put him in with someone like Povekin is, I, I just think it's a complete. I, sorry, I'm I'm out of words. I'm speechless just because I can't believe the fight's happening, and I can't believe that we're even having a discussion on what do we think is going to happen. It's clearly going to be a perfect knockout. It's clearly going to be really dangerous, and especially with everything that's been going on in the sport um, over the past year and the you know year and a half. Um, you know, even just recently with Scott Westcott, uh, You know, rest in peace to him. But with everything that's going on, we really shouldn't be allowing fights like these to go ahead. It's just completely negligent.
3: Very strong words there from Mariam. Um... But yeah, no, sorry to kind of reignite that. But how do you, how do you, when do you see it coming? Do you see it coming, you know, one to three, four to Mate, I
4: wouldn't, I would not be surprised if it was a first round knockout, seriously.
3: So you're going one to three, yeah? Yeah, definitely. I'm going one to three as well. Iaz, um, how do you see it? When will the knockout come? We hope it, we hope we're wrong, of course, but when do you feel the knockout will come? I'm sure you think that Perfection's going to win. Or are you going to shock me and say that Price is going to do him on point? <laughs> um, <laughs> No
2: chance. I can't, see, I can't see David Price winning this fight, obviously, because we've seen him. He's been knocked out already. Uh, he's been stopped by Irken Tapper, Tony Thompson twice, and Christian Hammer. Uh, if I'm going to go for a knockout, I think uh, David Price, I think he'll last about five rounds, and then he'll get knocked out.
3: Okay, so you reckon four to six rounds in, yeah? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, well, what I will say on this, um, I just want to throw a quick note in here, and... I want people that are listening to listen to what I'm saying quite carefully here. Um, we know that David Price has clearly got confidence issues. Um, I think that's been addressed not just by, you know, people in the, you know, in the boxing game, but also I'm pretty sure I've heard Dave Caldwell say that to me. I don't want to misquote Dave Caldwell in any way, but I'm sure he's come on here before and said that, you know, Price has got confidence issues and that's it. He can perform well in the gym, but under the lights, he just can't do it. So I just want to know, the handlers, the managers, the promoters, anybody involved, anybody that's had a hand in making this play, how on earth have they decided to put Price in here when he's got mm-hmm. confidence issues? They're putting him, putting him in a stadium with 80,000 people in. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's just not going to be able to do it. And not only that, but if you look back, he's been knocked out in all his four losses, and they've all been arguably to drug cheats, okay? I don't want to point the finger too much, but we know what happened with Tony Thompson. He says differently. He could be right, he could be wrong, but he did get found out for something, whether it was his fault or not. Erkan Tepper, we know what happened there, 100% drug cheat. And then Christian Hammer, I've heard all sorts of things about that. And now he's taken on another guy that's been found, you know, putting things in his system that he shouldn't do. So... He's fighting another... It's like this has already been written. I'm getting deja vu with it, you know. But what I will say, the only thing I will say is that since Povetkin has seemingly become, you know, a clean athlete, the stoppages haven't really been coming. He hasn't really looked as good. But I still think... I think if you fed Povet, i don't want to be—I'm not trying to be funny here—but I think if you fed Pavetkin some sleeping pills and some laxatives, I still think he could get in there and beat uh, Price, no matter what's in his system. But especially with nothing to to you know to degrade his performance, he's going to mm. win. I mean, and even stuff that would <laughs> would you know degrade his performance, I still think he'd—I still think that 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 he'd win. You know, I just cannot mm. see Price even getting past the first the first I tell you what I'll give him I'll give him this I can't see round five beginning I I wouldn't be surprised mm. if he went four rounds but not five I, I just can't see it and like I say I'd love price to knock him out that's, that's 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 I'm sure what we all think you know I've got no problem with price I like him and he's obviously got a lot of nuts you know what I mean but oh, it's just it's such a mismatch it's unbelievable um you, you, yeah, that's that's about all I want to say on that one. So I'm going with rounds one to three. So are you, Mariam so are our listeners. I is going rounds four to six. And, of course, the final fight and the biggest fight of the weekend to mention. Anthony Joshua, 20-0, and 0, puts his IBF, IBO, WBA heavyweight titles on the line. And in the other corner, the undefeated 24-0, Joseph Parker, putting his WBO world heavyweight title on the line. Um, four belts up for grabs in total, but three of them recognized as proper world titles is, of course, going to be a 12-round fight. Both men undefeated. There's been a few statistics thrown around. I think it's possibly the only time in in history that two heavyweight champions are fighting each other in a unification. Especially thrown in the fact that they're both undefeated as well. Um, you know, it really is a, a huge, huge thing that's going on on the weekend. Um... I'm gonna throw it over to you, eyes Actually, a bit, a bit, a bit off guard. How you see this fight playing out? Uh, first, I first think it's a tough
2: fight for Anthony Joshua. Obviously, Joel Parker. We've seen him fight already, right? And um, we've seen him like he's very, he's got quick hands. But then again, when, when I saw him against the Huey Foo fight, he did not look good. Um, when he um, obviously he didn't look good against the Huey Fury fight. He just won the point. Well, obviously, he just nicked. The, in my opinion, I think that first the Huey Fury won the fight, but. With this fight, um, obviously, I'm, I can see a knock. I can see a stoppage, and I'm gonna go with Anthony Joshua's stoppage. When Anthony Joshua fought Carlos Takam in his last fight, he is really, really heavy. Now, if you look at him, right, you can see videos of him training, and that uh, he's trimmed down a lot. And if I'm, I'm gonna with this, I'm gonna. I think this Anthony Joshua's gonna have a lot of speed in this. He's he's still gonna have the same power, but if I'm gonna go for a stoppage, I'm gonna go for Anthony Joshua within uh, within 10, 11 rounds.
3: Okay, so quite late, you feel. Um... One thing I will say though, I was at Parker's open um well it wasn't open, it was a media only um workout the other day at the Haymaker gym last week and I was shocked at how like how how kind of small he looked. Like I've met Parker before and I I don't know, it's something about him. I think he's 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 coming light himself here and he just looks quite small. Like I mean I looked at him and I was quite surprised, like he doesn't even look like a heavyweight, it's really mm-hmm. weird. Um, you know, I know that you can see it in pictures and stuff like that, but actually being up close to him, I was I was shocked because I've seen him before and he's like quite a big guy and all that, but he, he just looks like you know like a light heavyweight, you know, <laughs> to be completely honest, not to not to go overboard, but um, yeah, I think he's coming light as well. I think that um, that you know, there's been mentions that I think he's had a few elbow. You know, a few elbow problems—not just one elbow, but both his elbows—and they've been operated on successfully. And you know, I, I certainly see him as the the fighter with the quicker hands. I'm not quite sure if I'd say he's got the power. I don't think he does. But one thing that he definitely does have is the experience to go 12 rounds. As we've said many times, I think his last three or four fights now have all gone 12 rounds back to back. He hasn't been able to find the knockout in any of those. And when you look at the people that he's took on, they're very tough and durable opponents. Um, you know, we, we've seen, obviously, Joshua recently take on Takam. I'm not sure the stoppage was going to actually come. There's a few arguable things with that stoppage there. It was a bit silly. Um, but, you know, not to take nothing away from Anthony Joshua, he looks in great shape as well. And I just still think that the speed is with Parker. I think the power is with Joshua. And like I say, I think the engine is very much with um, with Joseph Parker. And I think the experience it's hard to kind of throw that down on one man because I think that um, Joshua's probably fought the better opponents. Definitely fought the better opponents, you'd have to say. But I think Joseph Parker's fought various different opponents with mm-hmm. different styles. Look, when you when you take a look at Andy Ruiz Jr., a man that, you know, very quick hands, a very tough guy, and when you look at the likes of, uh, you know, the likes of... Um, Huey Fury a man that's going to box and move and, and you know and make you look silly in parts of the fight he's really seen every style mm. so there was an interesting bit when they did the sit down with Johnny Nelson and and Anthony Joshua said he's probably fought people like me he's probably met people like me but he hasn't met me and i think that was quite a good a good thing to say because i think that's that's quite true whereas um he you know possibly Joshua Possibly, especially not in his pro career, he hasn't fought anybody like Parker. That's what I will say. Mm-hmm. And one thing's going to happen for the first time here. Joshua's knocked everybody out. So he should get another knockout. And Parker's never been down in his whole life. So he's expected to not go down. Or something is going to change in this fight here. So, very exciting fight. Um, I would have to go with a a Joshua knockout, though. I think that's where the safe money is. Um I really got a lot of time for Joseph Parker. I'd love to see him do well once again. And I think David Hay made a great point in an interview that I saw with him where he said, if the fight goes past six rounds, then Parker's in with a real chance. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge point. I really like that that analogy there. But yeah, I'm going to throw it over to you now, Mariam, because you've been humming, humming all along (laughs) waiting to say what you've got to say. Take it away. (laughs)
4: Sorry about that. Just, I agree with everything you say, um, but I think I think uh, Parker has a good game plan in this fight in terms of coming in light, uh, because obviously we know that he can't outpower um, or outpunch um AJ. He's gonna have to rely more I think on his defense and his ability to really move around the ring because that's one area which we know that AJ struggles in um so coming in light I think it's a good idea and I even saw pictures from the press conference early this week I mean Park looked really really small in comparison to AJ but again that's not necessarily something that's going to be to his detriment he can you know use that to his advantage and actually use it to um, help his movement help his defense because I know the defense was something that I think it was the Takam fight. Or was it one of the earlier fights um, that that was something that everyone was kind of criticising Parker for and he's really improved on his defence. But obviously him coming in light is going to help with that. He'll be able to move around the ring easier, um, which I think will you know, kind of throw AJ off a bit because we know he has issues with his movement sometimes. But yeah, I don't see I don't see anything other than a late stoppage. And I think that's being generous to Parker. I mean, I I really like Parker, I put a soft spot for him. I think he's a great fighter, but I don't really see anything other um than an AJ knockout at this stage at least of Parker's career.
3: Yeah, but once again, I think, um, you know, we've got to definitely shell out a bit of credit for for both men, really. Um, You know, Joseph Parker, what I will say is he does seem very, very, very relaxed. He hasn't seemed unnerved at any point during the whole build-up to this, you know, months and months ago, I think when they did the first press conference, you know, to announce the fight kind of thing. And then, you know, so close to this one, he hasn't changed at all. And I think there has been certain things what his team have said that have seemed to unnerve Joshua a little bit. He's kind of been a little bit defensive at times. But um, you know, words are words. I don't think you can you can really look into it too much. When they did the face off earlier this week at the press conference, some people I, I saw some people saying that Parker seemed very relaxed and mm-hmm. Joshua seemed nervy, and then I saw another comment where someone said that Parker looked really nervy and Joshua seemed relaxed. So I don't really think you can accurately, um, especially me and, and most people can't really look at look at someone's reactions and pick up anything, you know, anything valid from that. So um yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it's going to be a great fight. I certainly give, like I say, both men credit. I think that, you know, Joshua, as as we've got to be completely honest, right? I I can't really remember in recent times a man that has made his debut and has got to 20 fights. And it's just kind of gone so quick. And when you look at the journey he's had in that time, and the reason why I've took extra notice of Joshua is because he had that coverage very, Mm. you know, very quickly, straight away on his pro debut. He's been followed so closely. And he's already at 20 fights, and you kind of think, where's the time gone? I mean, if if we're going to get the measure and stick out a little bit, I am pretty sure, I could be wrong, someone will have to correct me, but I'm pretty sure, I don't know if they made their debut on the same night, but I'm pretty sure that Charlie Edwards signed with Eddie Hearn on the same week that Anthony Joshua did, and they both did a press conference. They were both set on the top table. And when you look at, you know, Charlie Edwards, I think he's had about, what, 13 fights, something like that? Joshua's had 20 fights, and look at the opponents he's took on. You know, obviously, Charlie Edwards had that one world title fight, and that was a that was a brilliant opponent. But aside from that, I mean, he hasn't got any names in there like, you know, your Dominic Brazils, which, again, at the time... We didn't really know how good Brazil was. He's proved to be a fantastic fighter. You know, I, I really rate Brazil. So, yeah, I think Joshua... Sometimes I think we need to cut him a little bit of slack because he's actually fought some, some top guys. And let's be honest, he's done a number on all of them. Um, you know, no matter what you think of the of the Pichco fight, you know, whether he was losing at the time of the stoppage and it was a bit questionable and all that. I think we've got to give him a bit of, you know, cut him some slack. But, yeah, I mean, he's gone to 20-0 and and he's been... You know, he's, he's never really fouled to... You know, to impress and fail to deliver. So, credit to him. It's a very, very tough fight for him, like I say. He's either going to get carried to 12 for the first time and not score any knockdowns and and win a points decision or Joseph Parker, for the first time, is going to find himself on the floor. You know, something's going to happen. Or Joseph Parker's going to put Joshua on the floor, which has happened before, of course, but... Um, the Juco team would be standing. If they heard me right now, they'd be <laughs> chanting and, and banging drums that I said that. But yeah, great fight. I'm hoping that it lives up to its expectations and that's that. May the best man win. Um, I can't wait to be there ringside, to be honest. Anything else that any of you want to add just before we wrap up the show, bringing in, in guests to?
4: Uh, nothing springs to mind, no.
3: Nothing. Ayaz, you all good? Uh, no, that's it. Okie dokie. Like I say, just before we wrap up part two, there's one last thing to do. That, of course, is to bring in our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning IBF super middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Caleb Truex. Caleb, welcome back on the show, my friend.
1: Good to be back, man.
3: Hey, it's my pleasure, sir. It's great to have you back on. So, Caleb, first and foremost, the rematch against James DeGaulle has been signed. It's set to happen in just 10 days' time in Las Vegas on the undercard of Lara versus Hurd. How excited are you for the return fight? And I'm sure you're even happier that this time around the fight's happening on on American soil. And not only that, but this time you go in as the champion. You go in not just believing that you can beat James DeGaulle, but knowing that you can beat James DeGaulle
1: yeah i'm excited man i uh you know this is uh we, we basically knew the fight was gonna gonna happen as soon as the the original was uh was finished up we just were waiting for the date and and location and and they settled on las vegas i was hoping i was hoping it was gonna get made in minnesota there uh minneapolis was in the running for the uh the rematch but uh i guess logistics uh didn't work out so we're headed to vegas i wouldn't i, I would have came back to london too though man I liked it over there it was fun and uh the only thing that sucked about it is the uh, is the plane trip, man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but no, uh, Las Vegas is going to be fun. I've never fought there before. Um, I can't wait to go out there and experience it. Uh, you know, the big fight atmosphere is is uh, second to none out there. And um, like you said, man, I'm the champ now, and and uh, uh, I know I can uh, repeat the the performance I had uh, in December because I'm in great shape. I've had more time to prepare for this fight. And um, to tell you the truth, I'm more vot- motivated for this fight than I was the first because you know I'm, I'm the champion. I thought I won pretty convincingly, and I'm still uh, I'm still a, a huge underdog. Uh, I think I was six to one. At, at uh, somebody somebody posted that I was six to one on the books right away. But um, no, man, I'm uh, I'm just motivated to go out there and prove everybody that it wasn't a fluke, and and uh, to, uh, silence all the critics, and and silence James and Gale too. <laughs>
3: yeah absolutely um just a note on the fact that the fight is happening in America James told me last week that he you know he kind of felt like he wanted to get the win on your home soil like you did to him that uh that was somewhat to do with why the fight was happening in america is that true though why is it really happening in in america from your view
1: i'm i'm not sure i, I didn't i didn't think uh uh there was uh, ever a uh Talk of it going back to England. From from my understanding, it was either going to be in in uh, in Las Vegas, uh, Los Angeles, or or in at, at my really my home soil Minneapolis. And from what I heard, he didn't want to come to Minneapolis to fight. So I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, um, either way, it's in Las Vegas, and uh, it ain't gonna make no difference where it's at. Man, I'm uh, like I tell everybody, I'm a fighter. I'll go wherever. I don't care if it was uh, in uh, James DeGale's uh, literally in his backyard. As long as they put a ring there and, and uh, some people get to watch, I'm i'm uh, i'm cool with it
3: yeah i believe you as well and caleb i know that you listened to our interview last week with james the on last week's podcast what did you make of what james had to say
1: uh i mean it sounded like a lot of uh excuses to me i i uh listening for a little little bit uh but um i don't know man after the uh after the or before before the original fight all, all i heard was his, his shoulder was great uh after the fight he said it was great and now all of a sudden he he uh uh he, he rushed it back. Like I, I none of that matters to me, man. I don't care. Just just come to fight. I hope he's healthy. Um I hope he's got six healthy arms when when he comes in there on uh April seventh, man. Uh, that's, that's what that's what the gale I'm ready for and and uh it doesn't uh doesn't really matter too much to me.
3: Now, last time you said that you felt that you needed to turn the fight into a dogfight in order to win because you felt that James had the superior boxing skills. Do you feel like you need to turn it into a dogfight to win the rematch at all?
1: You know, I—I'm uh, gonna. It's up to him to make the adjustments. I'm gonna come and, and try to put pressure on him like I did last time. You know, and, and uh, see how he see how he reacts, and, and uh, if he does make adjustments, uh, my coach will have me ready for the things that he thinks the Gale can do to to uh, be more successful. Um, and if he doesn't, I don't think it'll be much different from the last fight, so I'll be ready for either box or uh, or just turn in a dog fight, like you said,
3: yeah, that was gonna be my next question. I was gonna say, do you believe the fight's gonna be pretty similar to the you know to the first fight, or do you believe it'll be different in some ways um so you believe you believe it'll be similar to the first fight you say
1: you know i'm I'm ready for it not to be similar. uh I think he's gonna come motivated, he's gonna be hungry uh he's gonna to have to make changes if he wants to win the rematch. So i expect him he's a world class fighter he's a former champion he uh uh i expect him to to make the adjustments and and it's up to me to uh be ready for those adjustments so um if it's not similar, I'll be ready for it if it is similar uh to the last fight uh then uh i think it'll be uh i think it'll be shorter than the last
3: fight. <laughs> and this time around like you just mentioned you know you're the you're the underdog with the betting shops once again does that surprise you in any way i'm just looking at it now over here in the uk if i was to put 2 pound on you i'd get uh, i'd win 9 pound plus my 2 pound back so 11 in total so yeah quite quite a big underdog again does that surprise you
1: yeah, to me it's crazy man i i, I can understand if uh, um he, uh, you know, if I knocked him out with a with a one shot or something like that, when he was winning the fight. But the way I won, I, I felt uh, uh, I should be a favorite or or uh, you know an even fight or whatever. But uh, I mean, I'm not I'm not too concerned about it. But all it is is uh, just uh, uh, another factor for me to to draw motivation from and and uh, prove everybody wrong. And I might uh, I might hit the sports book when I'm out in uh, Vegas and uh, lay a little uh, lay a little uh, money on myself. <laughs>
3: Now I know that uh, I know that you know how important getting the win is on April seventh, but the super middleweight division right now is really hotting up. The WBC champion David Benavidez is looking very good. George Groves is looking great recently. Gilberto Ramirez, one of the longest unbeaten streaks in boxing, He's of course got the WBO. Um, Katagai recently also picked up the, um, the the interim IBF title. Is there anybody that I've mentioned at all that you know is somewhat on your radar, or are you just completely focused on James and? you're not looking elsewhere at all
1: you know I, I i'll tell you like i've told everybody else um that i've done interviews with uh leading up to this april 7th fight is i don't want to fall into the same trap that i think that he fell into uh yeah. before our december fight which is you know looking forward and, and counting your dollars and and uh trying to figure out who you're going to fight next so i'm 100 percent focused on de uh once this fight's over i'll let al hayman i'll let uh, my, my promoter seconds out in warriors boxing, uh, they'll, they'll come up with best for me. And, and I want the biggest fights out there, man. I'm, 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 uh, a little long in the tooth, man. I'm 34. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be boxing while I'm doing it. I want to get the, uh, uh, the most out of it and, and, uh, make the biggest fights and, and, uh, satisfy the fans and, 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 uh, take care of my family.
3: And since we last spoke, we saw George Groves conquer Chris Eubank Jr. It's in some people's eyes, was a little bit of an upset win, that. um, We've also seen Callum Smith get past his his late notice opponent. Um, Who do you believe wins the final of the Super Middleweight World Boxing Super Series, Caleb?
1: Uh, You know, I thought Groves looked uh, really good against uh, Eubank. I thought he boxed really well, uh, used his jab really well, and and outclassed him. I thought, uh, I, 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 I can't remember what the scorecards were, but I didn't even think it was very close the way I scored it. Callum Smith. I, I'm not too familiar with him. I know he's real tall and rangy and he was supposed to be a, a really big puncher from what I heard, but he didn't look too big of a puncher when I, when I watched that fight, uh, his last fight with the guy that, uh, replaced Bramer. Um, but, uh, uh, they're both, they, they both can fight, man. I, I, uh, hopefully George Groves gets healthy and, and is able to, uh, um fighting the final against them I don't know uh talk was that, that they're going to push it back and and uh allow Groves to his shoulder to heal so hopefully he gets that shot and and uh um I'd probably go with Groves I, I think I'd favor Groves in the final just based off experience alone
3: and coming down to the last couple questions now, um, I recently did an interview with Badu Jack, and he was praising you quite a lot during that interview. So I'm going to ask you, um, no pressure, Badu Jack takes on Adonis Stevenson on May 19th. How do you see that one unfolding? Oh, uh,
1: man, ba- Badu is my guy, man. Uh, we, we fought uh, on the same card uh, once and shared a locker room. Really good people. Uh, all of his team was really good people, and, and uh, he's he's uh, he's, a, he's a great fighter, man. Uh, uh, I think... You know, the, the the run that he's been on, um, you know, since he won the title, he's, he's had a number of great victories and he's kind of flew underneath the radar on, on like fighter of the year type things. Um, but I think he's had great years, uh, you know, for, I think it's been two or three years since he won the title, um, the super middleweight title, but, uh, I think, uh, I think he goes in there and, and beats him, man. I, uh, I just, I, I'm confident in him and, and the route that he's taken and, and, uh, uh Adonis is getting pretty old, and and also he's just so inactive. Um, I just uh, I think Body Jack is going to be on top of his game, and and uh, uh, Stevenson might be a little bit rusty, but uh, he does have that one punch eraser, though. So there's always that. But I I think Badu Jack, uh, I think he'll 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 draw up a game plan and and uh, and, and get it done.
3: Yeah, I certainly hope so. I think it's going to be a great fight, that, and I can't uh, can not not ask you about the huge heavyweight clash in just a couple days' time, Anthony Joshua versus Joseph Parker. Um, a lot of mixed opinions I'm I'm seeing, really. Depends who you speak to. How do you see that one unfolding?
1: Uh, I'm not super familiar with Parker. I've seen a couple of his earlier fights just on YouTube. I looked him up when everybody's talking about him, but I haven't seen too much of him lately, but I know he's got good speed, and he's a... Uh... A uh, good combination puncher for a heavyweight, uh, puts his punches together quite well. Um, I don't think he can beat AJ though. Uh, I think Joshua is too uh, uh, too big and 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 just strong and powerful. And and he also is a, is a, is a really good boxer for the size guy that he is. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think Joshua wins. I I could see this one going the distance though. I could see Parker being able to box and and stay away from from. Uh, uh, getting knocked out but uh um I'm excited i'm 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 definitely gonna be watching uh on Saturday and then i leave out to uh Las Vegas on sunday morning so i'll uh, I'll be my uh my last uh bit of uh time to hang out with the family and I'll watch that fight
3: oh brilliant man brilliant and I must also ask you your prediction for April seventh if you have one I asked this same question last week to James he said that well, he didn't actually give me a method whether he saw himself winning on points or, or by a stoppage, but he did say he believes he'll win with flying colours. How do you see it, Caleb?
1: <laughs> That's what he said last fight too. Um I I see myself winning more dominantly than the first time, whether that be by stoppage or wider decision, uh I don't care. But I, I think I uh I think I win more comprehensively than the first time.
3: And I will just say, just before I let you go, um, have you got any kind of message to your UK fans? You've picked up quite a following. Obviously, you're well-respected for coming over here and beating James DeGale. What's your message to all your followers over this side of the water?
1: Uh, thanks for the continued support, guys. Um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I think I got more Twitter followers from the UK than I do uh, the United States now uh, after that fight uh, in London in December. But uh, thank you for the support. Um, Hopefully, uh, I pick up some more fans after I uh, beat the Gale again, and hopefully, you guys won't hold against me for uh, beating your your guy twice.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, Caleb. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for April seventh, and I'm sure that we'll catch up sometime afterwards, my friend.
1: All right, brother. Thanks, man.
3: Okay, and this wraps up episode 128 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host Joey Coastman. Ayaz Sumra has been Ayaz Sumra. The magnificent Mariam has also been with us for the duration of this week's show. I'd also like to thank our two guests on this week's show as well. The trainer of some of the hottest UK boxing talent, Mr. Peter Fury, and the current IBF super middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Caleb Truax. The t-shirt competition this week is a simple one. Send us a tweet. We your funniest boxer's nickname. Once again, the funniest nickname of any boxer that you can find. We've restocked the Box Hard Podcast t-shirts now, so we've got all sizes out there. So just simply send us a tweet to enter that competition there. The Prediction League currently stands at myself on 24 points, I as on 31 points, and you, the listeners, in the lead with 32. There are another four points up for grabs this weekend also, so best of luck to everybody involved in that have a great weekend people be sure to enjoy it thank you for listening and we'll see you next week